in over 54 years of ministry, various types of church activities, some on short-term mission outreaches. I have encountered lots of people with lots of problems. Depressed, discouraged, defeated, and the list goes on and on and on. Perhaps if I were to take all of that and put a statement to all of that as a group, I would say it like this. Most of those problems that I heard about could all go back to just two or three things. And perhaps the greatest one of those things is they don't know who they are. If they only knew who they are, if they only knew who Jesus is in them, it would have changed their way of looking at situations. It would have changed their way of seeing themselves. And they would have an entirely different vision and outlook on life in general. I would say the vast majority of the problems we've dealt with could be resolved by that very thing. I discovered also that lots of times, many of us live as if the cross never happened. I'm talking us, Christian people. Not people that are lost out in the world system somewhere. I'm talking about us. Many of us live as if the cross never happened. That we are living our life from our perspective as a human being apart from what Jesus did and who he is to us. So today I want to challenge us with some things. Basically just scripture. About getting free from sin consciousness. One of my pet peeves, and I've got lots of them. But one of them is hearing the statement... I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Now, if you know who Jesus is, and if you know who you are in him, that's not true. Now, were you a sinner? Yes. Were you saved by grace? Yes. But now that that has happened, you know what you are? You are a saint. Did you know that Paul and others addressed the believers in Christ as saints while they were alive? We don't find scripture talking about saints that have been beatified after they died 400 years or whatever. We don't have scripture for that. We have scripture for people that are committed to the lordship of Jesus Christ who are Believers in him, who trust him, who walk with him, they're called saints. So, let me give you a scripture here in the book of Hebrews chapter 10. We'll start there as our text. For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image of the things, can never with the same sacrifices which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified, would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. 
He's talking about the mosaic sacrifices. They had sacrifices they made every day. They had special ones that were made at certain times during the week. They had special ones at certain seasons during the year. And on the Day of Atonement, all of this was culminated and all the sins of the people who properly did it as the law required basically had their sins roll forward for a year. Those sins were never totally, independently forgiven, merely rolled forward. For had they been totally taken care of by the sacrifices of the lambs and goats and uh, heave offerings and all of that, then they would have had no more consciousness of sin. But in all of those sacrifices, because it was continually happening, they had an awareness that they were sinners. They were sinners. They were sinners. Got to bring the lamb sacrifices. Got to bring the wave offerings. Got to come and do this on the holy day. In this season of the year, we've got to do this. They were always reminded of their sin. But folks, that was under the old covenant. We don't live under the old covenant. We live under the new covenant. Jesus fulfilled all of those shadows and types. See, all they were doing was setting it up for Jesus. They were portraying that when Messiah comes, He's going to be the sacrifice. It's not going to be the blood of sheep and goats and all of that. It's going to be the precious blood of the Lamb, Jesus. And His blood does something that the blood of those sheep and goats couldn't do. Therefore, if you and I understand that, we should be aware of the fact we're not a sinner saved by grace. We're a child of God. The greater one lives in us today. Greater is he that is in you than he, or what, is in the world. And you and I should live our life free from condemnation of sin. Even from the consciousness of sin. Let's look at some scripture here. But before I get to those scriptures, I probably need to say it like this. I want to do a little word study with you today. You know, in English, we have three tenses. Past, present, future. We understand that. But in the Greek, which is New Testament, was written in, they had many more tenses to their verbs than that. They had, I'm going to give you a list, present continuous action, past continuous action, past complete action with continuing effect, past action viewed in a single perspective, future action that was either continuous or viewed in a single perspective. Plus, each one of those tenses have to do with time and a particular action. Now, would you say that's a little bit more complicated than past, present, and future? And, without getting too involved in it, when we read the Bible, we oftentimes don't pick it up because we, in English, past, present, or future. That's all we usually say. But in there, you get to understand the nuances of the Greek and what they were saying. That something happened in the past that was a complete action 
But it wasn't just something in the past that was a complete action, but it continued on. All right? Or there's something that is happening presently, but it's not just now, it's continuing on. And so all of those nuances there need to be brought out. So I'm going to point out a few of them as we look at some scripture. There's one word that's used 27 times in the New Testament, Qatar. And it means to make idle or inactive, to render inoperative or powerless. Now, I point that out because we're going to see that word used in some of these scriptures to tell us how we can live a life that is free of sin consciousness. Let's go to Romans chapter 6 and verse 6 where it says this. Knowing this, knowing what the Apostle Paul has written to the church at Rome and the church in Louisville, In the first six chapters up to this point, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Let's stop there a moment. If you are in Jesus and he lives in you, that is, you're a believer, you, your old man, your old person, your old nature, was, past tense, crucified when Jesus was crucified on the cross. And you know, nobody survives crucifixion. It was such, when they crucified you, you died. And if you didn't die quick enough, they'd break your bones of your legs so that you couldn't push yourself up like that to get air in your lungs while you're hanging on the cross. So when you got crucified, you died. Therefore, our old man was crucified with him that the body of sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to it. Now, that phrase there, done away with, means to render inoperative or powerless. Guess what? When you were crucified with Jesus on the cross, sin lost its power over you. You don't have to sin. I don't know about you, but I was raised in a church that had this theology. You know, everybody has to sin a little bit every day. You probably have heard that. I bet lots of you have heard that. You know, everybody sins a little bit every day. You might do that, but I'm saying you don't have to because that was broken. The price was paid so that sin cannot control your life because you are crucified on the cross. Imagine it like this. Here's Jesus nailed to the cross. But if you turned his cross around, you would find you on this side of it crucified just like this. That you and Jesus were crucified back to back, saying that when he was crucified, you were crucified. And sin's power was broken. The old man refers to your old nature. Verse 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. The word freed means to be cleared. If you were crucified with Christ, your old man died and you were cleared of sin. There should be no more consciousness of sin. You should get up every day saying, thank God I'm a child of God. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Not only do I walk in victory in one area of my life, I walk in victory in every area of my life, particularly over sin. 
I am victorious over sin. I'm victorious over sin. Now, if you've been struggling with something and you finally get that revelation that you're victorious over sin, that ought to make you happy enough to get up and shout. Verse 8. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe we shall also live with him. Did we die with him? Yes. Guess what? Now we get to live with him. Yes, well, that's when I get to heaven. No, no, no. That's not talking about heaven. That's talking about now, today, in this life. Heaven's going to take care of itself when you get there. We don't know for sure whatever God's got, but I know whatever it is, it's good. But you and I are talking about living for him and with him today in this life. Verse 9, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, dies no more. Death no longer has dominion over him. Thank you, Jesus. Look in verse 11. Likewise, you also reckon, or better, consider yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Consider yourself dead to sin. See, you've been crucified. The old man's been put to death, rendered inoperative. He's been rendered powerless. How many dead people do you know that get up and do things? You know why? Because if they do get up and do things, that means they're not dead. If they're dead, they can't do anything. Right? You know, I don't know about you, but I I was raised in an environment where when people died, it was kind of spooky. I mean, I was raised in an environment people, for example, wouldn't want to walk in a cemetery at night. And even as a little kid, I never got that. I thought, they can't hurt you. They're dead. It's the live ones that'll hurt you. (laughs) Who's afraid of dead people? They're dead. They can't do a thing. The same thing is true. Your old man died. Consider him dead. Consider him crucified. And that now you have new life in Jesus Christ. Look in verse 12. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in in its lust. Notice that that statement was addressed to believers. If they were not capable of doing that, he would not have said to them, don't let sin reign in your life. Meaning believers have the capability of yielding to sin. That's why we're told not to do it. Because we still have the capability. Now, I'll, I'll develop that a little bit later when I get to First John. But he addresses them and us. You know, the old man, he's been crucified. He's been rendered powerless. He's ineffective. He's inactive. He is defeated. Now, don't yield to him. Meaning that what we now call the flesh, areas of our life that's not yet submitted to his lordship in totality... And all of us have some of that, even though we're righteous. We still have some areas, though they be small or great, that are not totally 100% submitted. And so we find that we may miss it on occasion. So let's look at 1 John chapter 3. Verse 4 and 5 say this. 
Whoever commits sin commits lawlessness or rebellion. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was manifest to take away our sin or to bear our sins. And in him there is no sin. Let me go back. Present tense continuous action. He who presently commits sin on an ongoing basis, or another way of saying it, is the one who practices sin. Did you know there's a difference between somebody who sins on occasion than somebody who likes to sin? I need to say that again. Some of you didn't get that. I said there's a difference between somebody who only sins on an occasion. Perhaps they're deceived or they're overcome by something. And they sin and realize that, oh God, I repent because they're convicted by the Holy Spirit. And they, you know, turn from it and go on. That's different than somebody who likes to sin. Okay? So, whoever practices sin, he said is practicing lawlessness or rebellion. And you know that Jesus was manifested to take away or bear our sins away. And in him there is no sin. Now look in verse 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Present tense, continuous action. Whoever consistently abides in Jesus with his life does not make a practice of sinning. Whoever makes a practice of sinning, whoever sins has never seen him nor known him. Again, present tense, continuous action. If somebody is happy, living in their sin, they enjoy it. There's a question mark. Do they really know him? There's a big question. Do they really know him? So, well, I thought we're justified by faith. We are. But folks, what you got on the inside is eventually going to come out. What we have on the inside is going to come out. You may put a, a cover over it for a while, but the scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speak. And Mark 7 says, out of the what is within the person influences what comes out of the person. So, a person that likes to practice sin, his question as to whether or not he's, he really knows the Lord or not. Huge difference from one who sins occasionally and one who practices sin. Look in verse 7, 1 John 3. My little children, or little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he, Jesus, is righteous. Present tense, continuous action. The one who lives righteously, guess what? Is righteous. That's deep. Real deep. The one who lives righteously is righteous. You know why? Because you and I can't live righteously apart from Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, 8. He who sins is of the devil. Stop. He who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of Man was manifested that he might destroy or render powerless and inoperative the works of the devil. Do you get that? Present tense, continuous action. And past tense, continuous action. Because Jesus 
was manifest to render inactive and powerless the works of the devil, then we have the benefit of being freed from his power. Totally, totally we have been freed. See, Satan has no authority over you. Let me say that again. Satan, his demons, has no authority over you. If he does, we probably gave him that authority. But inherently in himself, he does not have any. None. Zippo. Nada. Why? Because Jesus took care of that. Let me give you another scripture. Verse 9. Whoever has been born of God does not practice sin. He does not sin. Continuous action. For his sin remains in him and he cannot sin because he was born of God. All right. Here's the, here, this is a crucial point here to point out the difference between somebody who occasionally does something wrong and somebody who continuously practices doing wrong. The individual who has made Jesus Lord and is living with him and for him will not make a practice of sinning. Why? Because his seed, what's that mean? That means the presence and nature of Jesus in him. You have the presence, the Spirit of God. You have the very nature of Jesus Christ on the inside of you. And if you are living with him, obedient to him, then you are not going to be practicing sin. May you miss it every once in a while? Of course you might. Yes, you might. But if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is a propitiation for our sin, and not for ours only, but for the sin of the whole world. So if we do miss it, here's what we need to do. Now here's what we habitually do because we don't know any better. We go to God and say, Oh God, Oh, God, would you please forgive me? I repent. Would you please forgive me? You say, what's wrong with that? Nothing, if that's all there is to it. But here's why people deal with the same sin over and over again and don't get victory. Because they never go beyond the words they say. Do you know what repentance is? Repentance isn't just, Lord, forgive me. Repentance means I'm going this way And I recognize it, and I don't want to go that way. And I go this way. That is having made a quality decision, which is part of the soul. Soul made up mind, will, and emotions. The will, you made a decision. I'm not doing that. I'm not going that way. So I'm turning around and go this way. And it's not how many times you beg God to forgive you. You can do that all day long and never make any progress. You've got to make this decision, quality decision, where you decide, I'm not doing that anymore. I'm going this direction. The word repent simply means change and go the other direction. And only the person who's got the problem can make that choice. Only the person who's trying to get victory, they have to be willing to make that choice. It's a decision of their will. 
We call it a quality decision because we mean we're keeping this. And let me just throw in something here. Just won't charge you anything for this one. You know why some marriages don't work out? Because they didn't make a quality decision when they said, I do. And therefore, they don't. How are you hearing me? If you said, I do, you better does. Okay? If you're, not, if you're not willing to stick to it, don't say, I do. Because when you're saying, I do, you're making a supposedly a quality decision that you mean to carry out. And you're not putting any way out. See, some folks get married and they, they're planning on a way out before they even get on the honeymoon. That's not a quality decision. That's a preference. Okay? Now, we need to be just that serious when we make a decision to follow Jesus. It's, I'm not going to follow Jesus just because He does good things for me. Sure, He does good things for us. Every day, more than we even know about. But I'm going to follow Jesus regardless, period. No way out. Not put a, a, an escape clause somewhere in the contract. No, there's not an escape clause here. Jesus is Lord, period. Now, so well, what happens when I do wrong? Father, Holy Spirit convicts. I realize that was wrong. I repent from that. Do you know you can repent in a matter of a few seconds? Some of you didn't get that one, did you? I said you can repent in a matter of seconds. You don't have to beg God. You don't have to plead over and over again. Oh, I'm hoping God will just so forgive me. Oh, quit that. That tells me you don't know what the Word says. Okay? You can make up your mind, I'm going to quit doing this and I'm going to do this. It's only a matter of seconds. And then, once you've made that up, here's what you do. From that time forward... You don't ask God to forgive you. You declare He has forgiven you. And there's a big difference between the two of those. Somebody that doesn't know they're forgiven has to always continuously ask to be forgiven just to satisfy their feeling or their desire to feel forgiven. Because they got it up here. That's what must happen. No. When you know who He is and what He has done for you, who He is to you, and you make a decision to quit doing this and go this way. It's easy. It's easy to repent. So what if I'm tempted again? I declare that I am forgiven by the grace of God. Greater is He that has forgiven me of all my sins and my faults and shortcomings, and I am forgiven. See, so well, what about 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sin, He's faithful as us to forgive us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yes. Holy Spirit convicts. And if I agree with Him, I can agree with that instantaneously. Don't take me a long time to agree with the Holy Spirit. You're right, Holy Spirit. I was wrong right there. What did I do? I confess by virtue of agreeing with what he said, Holy Spirit, 
And I've repented by changing my direction. And so once I've repented and changed my direction after having agreed with the Holy Spirit, I don't have to ask God to forgive me of that. I just declare He has forgiven me of that. I'm forgiven. And the more you get a hold of that in your thinking, what you're doing, you're pulling the ground out from under Satan's accusation and condemnation. Big difference between condemnation and conviction. Condemnation is of the enemy, which is usually involved with the brain. Conviction is the work of the Holy Spirit that's involved with your spirit and soul. Difference between here and here. Someone says it's 18 inches difference between conviction and condemnation. The head or the spirit. I like that. So, you know, if, if you don't know that you're forgiven, you're going to be going back to God. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Oh, God, forgive me. Stop it. If you know what the Word says, you declare, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. He forgave me of that. Mr. Devil, you may keep trying to tempt me. You may attack me. But I'm telling you, I'm forgiven. And the Word of God says I'm forgiven. He's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Let me give you one other scripture. This one is found in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 3 and 4. Or actually, I believe it should be 2 Peter chapter 1, 3 and 4. As His divine power has given. Past tense. He has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him. Stop there a minute. He has given to us everything we need for this life to live godly in it through an intimate knowledge of Him. So if you're going to enjoy all of the things that's in the atonement, you're going to have to know the person who made the atonement. Personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Through knowing Him, you have provided for you everything you need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of Him who called us to glory and virtue, by which have been given to us exceeding great and precious promises. All right, stop there a minute. He has given us many, 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 many promises. Remember that little kid's chorus that used to be sung in Sunday school and vacation Bible school? Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. Then it goes on and on and on. That's a fact. Every one of those promises that are made to us in the Word of God, if we appropriate them by faith, they will enable us to live a life that is in this life, this present time, of godliness and victory. We intimately know Him. We appropriate the promises, the great and precious promises, that through these, that is, these promises, you may be a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. Address that to believers. That's believers he's talking to. 
You and I know him. We've been given great and precious promises. And through these, we become a partaker of his divine nature. In other words, we experience his divine nature that exists on the inside of us in our regenerated spirit, the core of our being. We begin to appropriate the benefits of him living in us. That's the way we would say it. What does that mean? That means we live in victory instead of defeat. That means we live in faith instead of doubt. That means instead of depression, we are exuberant with joy of the Lord. See, I don't know about you. I don't want any depression. I don't want any sadness. I don't want any depression and defeat and discouragement. Well, how am I going to fix it? Because I'm simply going to know Him. And I'm going to take these promises He's made and I'm going to appropriate them for myself. And I'm going to declare that every one of them that He's provided are activated. Now I have the potential to live victoriously. When people come and they say, well, I'm depressed. Can you, can you help me? Can you pray for me? I'm so depressed. And I do. I pray. But after we've prayed, I usually tell them, let me tell you how to deal with depression so you never have it ever again. And they say, oh, what? What do you mean? Yeah, I can tell you a way. You can fix your depression problem. Really? Yeah. And it really works. All right. What is it? Get in the Word of God. Particularly the New Testament and particularly out of the New Testament, the epistles. And start reading and declaring everything the Bible says you are and you possess in Christ. To pretty soon, your spirit person gets so built up, you don't believe the lies of the devil anymore. And you can live a life free of depression. Same thing is true of discouragement. You know, a lot of times we, we are depressed because we expect to be depressed. Sometimes people are sick because they've been told everybody gets sick. Everybody's got to die. I remember the first church I was pastoring in. When I got filled with the Holy Spirit and I was preaching on faith and healing and the Holy Spirit and the gifts and things like that, of course, that's what got me kicked out. But one of my deacons came up to me and said, Pastor, everybody's got to die of something. And I said, well, you know, the best way to die is just quit breathing. Hello? If you quit breathing, you'll die. Or if you die, you'll quit breathing. The other way too. What am I saying? I'm saying everybody don't have to die of discouragement, depression, some horrendous condition. Because we have something provided for us better. Now, according to the word of God, and I believe this Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed unto men once to die and after that the judgment. Sure. I think everybody, unless you're alive when Jesus comes back, that special group of people are not going to face death like we would normally do it. They're just going to go from being a mortal to an immortal. Not that quick. So that's going to happen. But on the other hand, 
I'm, what I'm saying is lots of times things have been provided for us that we have not believed were possible, we have not appropriated, we have not activated those promises in our life, and as a result, we're suffering things that are unnecessary. There are no brownie points with God when you live through depression and discouragement. Well, Lord, you know how much I've suffered. Yeah, he does, and probably saying, don't they get it? Look what all I provided for them. But you know, even if, if you and I act like that, he still loves you. See, we're not talking about making God love you or not love you. We're talking about living in victory or not living in victory. That's the difference. The love of God isn't changed by our behavior. He loved us according to the word of God while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. The love of God is unchangeable. And behavior doesn't make it, good behavior doesn't make it better. Bad behavior doesn't make it less. He loves us regardless. My point is, we need to live in victory. Total victory that he's provided for us. We need to appropriate it and live in it. One last scripture. Galatians 5.16 says, walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Again, he wrote that to the Galatian church and to New Life Church. He said, walk in the Spirit. What's that mean? That means live your life in obedience to the urgings and leadings and promptings of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, those areas of your life that aren't perfect yet, you'll not fulfill them. Walk in the Spirit and you'll not fulfill the lust of your flesh. We're not talking about this body. We're talking about parts of our personality and personhood that hasn't yet 100% yielded to God. And as I said earlier, all of us got some of that. We all do. How do I know? Because we all got some selfishness. That's the, that's the good news. <laughs> we all, we do. We got some selfishness still. But that selfishness is kept dead when we yield to the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And it don't control our life. It don't cause us to act a certain way because we're obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit. See, we're living under the new covenant. And under the new covenant, there is so, so much more available than they had under the old covenant, the Mosaic covenant. We have victory where they didn't have victory. What they saw is only a picture of what was to come. We have Jesus and his provisions because we look back to the cross, not toward the cross. See, many Christians live on the side of, well, I'm expecting that when Jesus comes. No, folks, he's already come. The cross has already been there. He already died. He was buried. He arose victorious. He ascended to the right hand of the Father from whence he makes intercession for us. And he poured forth the Holy Spirit. We're living after the cross. And we need to realize we do not have to be sin conscious at all if we're walking with him.
We don't have to be sin conscious. The only time a Christian ever should be sin conscious is when they haven't repented over something that they should have repented for. The Holy Spirit has convicted and they haven't taken care of it. And because of it, oh, I've got this sin here. Well, immediately take care of it and that'll leave. It'll leave. And you won't be conscious of that anymore. And yet I, I find that lots and lots of Christians... The devil is still beating them up over the head with their past failures. Let me say that again. I find lots of Christians. The devil is still beating them overhead, over the head of their past failures. Well, you know, I, I remember 40 years ago when I did this, that, and the other. Get over it, Byron. A few months ago, a few months ago, I had a lady daughter called me for her mother. The mother was in her 90s, very frail, and she used to come to attend New Life Church many years ago, but she hasn't been here in years and years because she's been sick. But she wanted to talk to me. And so I go to her house, and her daughter was there, and she and she has a housekeeper that takes care of her during the daytime. She asked her daughter and the housekeeper to go into the other room. She said, I want to talk to the pastor by myself. I said, okay. And she had had a stroke, so it took, it, it took her a time to say what she needed to say. She kind of struggled with it. But I just sat there and listened until she finally got it out. And I got the picture of what she's talking about. And it came down to this. She said, something happened 60 years ago. 60 years ago. This lady was a born-again Christian. Very much so. But something happened 60 years ago that's been plaguing her all this time. And she said, you know, I know I'm going to die soon, and I don't want to die with this on my conscience. Now, my first inclination was to give her this teaching I just gave you. (laughs) But I condensed it down for her to tell her, have you repented and made Jesus your Lord? Yes. Are you practicing that sin now? Oh, no. I, I I only did that one time 60 years ago. I said, do you have any desire to do that sin again? Oh, no, no, no. She was almost offended that I would suggest such a thing. I said, you know what? God's already forgiven you of that sin. And the fellow that is making you concerned about it isn't the Holy Spirit. That's the enemy interjecting that thought into your brain. And he's condemning you for something that's already been forgiven 60 years ago. And she said, really? Her eyes brightened up. I said, absolutely. I positively, I said, on the, on the promise of the word of God and his promises that I know about, I know that to be a fact. You were forgiven when you made Jesus your Lord. And you quit letting that guy harass your mind. She said, how do I do that? 
And I said, here's how you do that. Greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I am born again in my spirit. My mind is renewed to the word of God. See, I already knew because she and her daughter had already told me that she listened to gospel uh, teachings. She read her Bible faithfully every day. She had a time of prayer every day. See, I already knew all those things. So I knew she was right with God. It was the enemy that was goofing with her thinking. Zig Ziglar says she had stinking thinking. Squirrely thinking. Something that isn't right with the Word of God. So I talked with her. I shared those principles with her. I asked her if she understood it. I do. I said, what are you going to do next time you have that thought? She said, I'm going to tell him where to go. I said, that's right. That's what you do. You tell him where to go and how soon to get there. (laughs) And you know, all of us need that same advice. 